that is a zero sum game because it's then a race to the bottom. Mm. It's a it's who is the more victimized class? It uh, what is it called? Um, ben Shapiro's got a good line about it. Um, what the hierarchy? Inter- hierarchy of, inter- intersectionality. That's yeah, it. Hierarchy yeah. of oppression. Exactly. But but it was like, you know, if you have a kid, right? Are you yeah. going to tell that person you're privileged mm. and and therefore you need to acknowledge that and that kind of stuff? It's like what, what does the they, but, get you? but then the, but then the kid is like, I only just got here. Yeah. Um. Why did you start? You know, bowing down about you know and acknowledging racist or mm. inter- or systematically part of this racist yeah. thing. And it was like, 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 did you get here because you were white, or did you actually went to uni and you actually yeah. put some hard effort into mm. in school, that kind of stuff? Like, yeah. where is that room? Mm. Um, well, to have had some interesting conversations, especially with the, the Indigenous Australian uh, episode that we did about a month and a half ago, thereabouts. Right, and you what you guys listened to it in the car. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Uh, we uh, we were debating about it oh, before yeah. I sat down to talk because I was going in. I was planning to go into that conversation pretty much toting relatively straightforward talking points of from right wing conservative voices that I'd heard. Um, but one interesting point that um, that the two A's and I started to allude on was that those benefits, um, the um, systems designed to try and help people who were Indigenous Australian. Um, to get into university, for example, those had a time, they had a place because at the time there were no pe- no, no one who wa- very few people who weren't in Australia were going to university. So we put those things in place to try and help them to help, try and help. But today those things are now being abused where you have people who do not who are essentially who have white, who have white skin. Um, they have a small percentage of indigenous Australian blood in their family line. yeah, but they are not. The, but they are. Well, I'll finish this point. But they they are not um, being. Um, they're not in the. They, there is no blockage or gap, to for them to get into uni. They need all these extra handouts and help. The funny. The funny thing is, actually, I was watching um, on the ABC today. Um, the one of their news articles. They had a um, representative of this new um, charter that's been that's been written between Indigenous Australians and um, the federal government. Yeah, and um, the guy who was representing it was white. He had, um, I guess, looked like it looked like he had a blonde hair going grey. But um, he was not, he was an elderly gentleman. But um, he had white skin. The whole I thought the whole point of racism was that I look at I look at someone and go, "You have a different skin color than me, or you look different, perceptibly different than me." So I'm going to judge you differently. If you've got the same skin color, but your ancestry is um, has got indigenous blood in your family line. How? Where can? How can the racist judge you? Yeah, well, it's that like, doesn't make any sense. It's like Elizabeth Warren claiming she was Cherokee, and then she's like, "Oh my goodness!" Turns one, out to be like one 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 thousand or something. Twenty fourth, yeah, twenty four percent, yeah, yeah or uh, whatever percentile. Yeah, it's prone to abuse. And, oh, and, exactly. And what I'm trying to get at was, mm. but yeah, this, this is what you're talking about is another. Aspect. Well, it was like she's like a privilege. Like, well, mm. I get that, but like. You surely you worked hard to get here as well. So yeah. it's, it's a bit of both worlds mm. about self autonomy and yeah. and putting the hard work versus yeah. lineage. But like I would I would have phrased it differently. Like mm. because she's turned it as privileged. I'm like yeah. oh, the whole guilt thing. It's yeah. just I think you've tapped that something you tapped. If she said, "Hey, I am grateful mm. for my my advantages, my parents." Yeah. 
and look, I'm going to help out this indigenous uh, people by donating to their cause or sure. helping out with the soup kitchen or yeah. helping out with the indigenous Tangible. education or medicine. Mm. And I'm like, okay, sure. I think that's, that's the thing. When you say, oh, I have privilege, I acknowledge my privilege, look at how virtuous, essentially virtue signaling. Again, that's not saying that there's virtue signaling necessarily. I think there's heart, there's heartfelt intent there and heartfelt meaning, but acknowledging your privilege is, sure, you can do that, but what good actually comes of it? And yes, there's, it's very heart, I do suspect that she's got, there's a heartfelt intent, intent behind what she's saying, but what good does actually come from saying, I acknowledge my privilege. Yeah. Okay, what next? Uh, I don't know. I've acknowledged my privilege. I'm a good person like, now. Like, if I asked her, okay, well, then give back your, give the hand back some of your land or hand back some of your yeah. money, like, she's not going to do it. Of right? course, no, of course not. Right? Of course not. Because, so, um, like, oh, should I, should cheaper, I, should I give, should it's I... cheaper to just acknowledge than it, to Exactly, yeah. But again, that's not actually solving. I was it's having, it's I was, Lindsay Shepard, right? When she said that. Lindsay so. Shepard. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, I was having a chat with my brother um, just today, actually, uh, because he was. Um, the NFL games in the US, they're going to start playing uh, the Black National Anthem in front of the Australian uh, I saw that the American in article. Anthem. Yeah. And I, I Googled it up. I was curious. I was like, okay, what is the Black National Anthem? I can't, I'll look it up in a minute if we want to talk about it here or whatever. But um, I couldn't remember what the song, I didn't know what the song was, but I Googled it and went, oh, okay. It was a song that was penned in the 19th century. Uh, 1919, the... NAACP, which isn't a, isn't a great organization anyway, but mm. um, the NAACP coined that song and said this represents African Americans uh, and our march towards freedom. Nineteen seven, uh, nineteen nineteen. So, so civil rights hadn't started yet. They were slaves were freed, but they weren't really seen as equal citizens yet, right? So there was a lot of validity to what to that song having good strong roots of. Um, representing the african-american cause of the time yep uh african-american cause of the time but the problem with that though is that today you don't have slavery anymore of black people like black people are not being told work for unless they're in africa <laughs> then they're probably in a sex trade well, like trade. well i made the point too, was going yeah in the west we've gotten rid of slavery but hey slavery still exists in the middle east and in african nations no it doesn't it's only in America. Oh, naturally, it, it started in America too. That's, that's right. It. Not... I think. I think. That, I think the Israelites are going. Hey, uh, guys, what do we do about the Egyptians? Mongols, uh, the Ottoman Empire. Oh, exactly. Uh, Rome, Rome, Greece. It was a thing. Yeah. Um, but the problem, the problem with all of this though, is by the actions that we're choosing to do to solve, try to solve problems. They're not actually solving real, tangible problems that exist today. Like, what good does playing the Black National Anthem in front of the American National Anthem at an NFL game actually do? Well, you know, you're just elevating one class above the other. Exactly. Like, the, the beauty of the American National... or America as a country, as a nation, is that you don't have a nationality. It's not, I am white, I am black, I am British, I am Irish, I am uh, Protestant or Catholic or whatever have you. It was... We have shared values, shared common ideals and values that we live by, and um, you left your race, your creed, your nation, you left that behind and went, we are now American. 
Mm. That was uh, that was something unique, especially for the time. But and that's why I think what the the American national anthem represents is that we are one people, not divided by our uh, all these different labels and names that we and groups that we put ourselves into. We are one. Yeah. But you're right. By elevating one class over the other, black over white, or white over black, or whichever one you want to do, what good actually comes from it? Nothing but resentment. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, complex convoluted. It's really tricky when you're trying to talk to someone about it because it's emotion. It's now emotional. Yeah, you're emotionally invested into it now, and you go, "But if I don't do this, then I'm a bad person, and I'll be looked down upon. I don't want that to happen." But it's not like Black Lives Matter movement has all the exclusivity to uh, tolerance, you know, peace, acceptance of blacks. Yeah, like. Why is it just that movement? And because because the the the, the vocal minority. That's yeah, why. And, and because yeah, and, and then therefore you have to jump on that bandwagon mm. to be seen as not racist. Oh yeah, because because um, what's the next phrase? Silence is uh, violence or some stupid. thing. I haven't heard that one yet. It's they've been parading that one. Oh, so if you just? if you don't say you support them, therefore you are the violent person, the racist, or right? Yeah. So now it was like. Um, you know, like Hermione, what's her name? Hermione Granger? No, no, uh, Emma, Watts, Emma, Emma Watson. Watson. Yeah, yeah. She's like, she posted the little black squares on her Twitter. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. And then they said, nah, you have to go further than that. You have to donate to the cause. You want my money? What? Yeah. So uh, I didn't, they, they, anyway, they, anyway they, they eat their own. They, they didn't tell me that in SOW school. Uh. <laughs> Welcome back to the Fire and Desert with myself, Johnny, and Pat. How you going? Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. All right. When I look back on the month of May, there appeared to be a sense among the community that perhaps the world went mad. As the world looked towards the end of a period of self-isolation and were fidgeting whilst we stared at our screens, where the media feed us the daily statistics on infection cases, countries feeling overwhelmed, it appeared that it was a matter of time until we broke. And break, we did. Whilst the media and our neighbours condemned each other and were happy, the police arrested moms taking their children to the playground for presenting a health hazard. People finally snapped when we saw the video of George Floyd on the ground with a police officer's knee on his neck. So, I mean, you're pretty much familiar with George Floyd's case. Yeah, I am. All right, cool. Uh, I I, I would, unless you've been living under a rock, I'm pretty sure everyone (laughs) at this point has at least an understanding of what's going on. Yeah, I'll I'll do a quick summary for the listener. Mm. Uh, Who knows when he will listen in. So, George Floyd... If you look it up this May 2020. Um, so what he got caught was he was passing a counterfeit $20 note for cigarettes. He grew up in Houston. He played sports in high school, held several jobs, hip-hop artist, truck driver, bouncer. He was a security officer, but lost it during COVID-19. He has a criminal history as well between the 1997 to 2005 involving drug possession, theft, trespass, and for armed robbery. And he actually contracted COVID-19. And the video that is pretty famous is of a white police officer putting his knee on the guy's neck. Mm. And eventually he was passed away. Yeah. I think it was more suffocation rather than breakage of, of Yeah, neck. I think so, yeah. Well, again, 
you've got the video where he was saying, I can't breathe. Yeah. So, yeah. I think the coroner said that, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure he said our suffocation. But not only that, but you also have uh, several other white officers sort of being the pre- yeah, being present, and they've not, noticed that, but... They haven't actually stepped in, told him, or told the police officer, going, this is not... This is not right. Yeah. This is not a legal. Well, I certainly hope that this was not a legal move that was taught in essentially in your police handbook. Yeah, in, in, I don't in, think in it was. I'm pretty. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. But no one, at no point, did the other officers step in and say, "Hey, this is wrong." Yeah. So. Well, and so, obviously tragedy occurs. Yeah. Yeah. So we had the riots. Yeah. Right? Riots, which seemed to be a mixture of protests against uh, continued isolation, because mm. we have those guys saying, you know. I can't breathe, and they yeah. don't want his masks. Uh, race relations, law enforcement, uh, police brutality, mm. and then about American history. So, for Australians, that flame of protest spilt over, I guess, into Victoria and then probably other places uh, where they were showing they were protesting to show solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement in America. Uh, however, what it's relevant for us is that people are pushing to end Aboriginal deaths in custody. And Australia does have a history of Aboriginal deaths in custody, mm. but it's, but it's not like they were actively, you know, torturing them or beating them. It was, well, the guy has health complications. Yeah, yeah. So like heart, mm. diabetic, and stuff. Yeah. And whether it's linked to the assertion that's put up from these groups is it's racism, like. The death is a cause of racism is still up to open to debate. I think that the argument here needs to be made better. The argument being put forward at the moment is really, really weak. That the connection you've got a death in custody, the person is black, thus racism. Like that link, I don't see the link at the moment. No, with the with the arguments that are being put forward by Black Lives Matter by different activist groups, or by Black Lives Matter in Australia. Yes, correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know, like. We don't have a history of police shooting black people. No, we don't. No. 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 I mean, we don't even carry guns. So Anyway, so during those riots on the 31st of May 20, uh, the SpaceX Dragon launched from the US and docked with the International Space Station, making the first time in nine years that a US space vehicle launched using a private company. That time. So you have a juxtapose of events representing the very best of humanity and the very worst Appearing side by side on that day. So, um, race, race protests and capitalism? Or? So, race protests <laughs> and pretty much, you know, the next step in com- commercializing, you know, space flight. Yeah, human, human, in- human ingenuity and in- inventiveness to yeah, achieve ta- a, great, a great, great scientific bound. Taking a step into space. I was being a bit sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> well, I mean, you got overshadowed anyway, that oh, the yeah. event. Oh, I, yeah. I saw it. It's like, oh, it's like... Bravo! You landed, got got a strip on the International Space Station. Yeah. Cool. Back to protest now. Yeah, like I sense those events on the ground seem to have overshadowed the development yeah. space, and it did. So with mm. the end of June approaching, both America and Australia now talk about removing statues. Again, yeah. really? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we thought it went away. Like, was it 2018? It was 2018. Yeah. yeah, they were jumping up and down over that. Right. Well, I thought, I thought, I thought they wait, they put that to bed. No, it's come back again. Right. But it's happened in Australia. So it's, it's all about removing the first Australian Prime Minister, Sir Edmund Barton's statue from Port Macquarie. Right. Because it was laid on Indigenous burial site. So that's reported by the ABC uh, on the 26th of June. Okay. But when you actually look into the article, it's it's more about 
it was sighted 10 meters away from the burial ground. So it's not on the burial ground. That's what I was trying to think. It's like, <laughs> there's a, I'd say there's a fair argument here. We're going, can we shift the statue over 10 meters maybe? I don't know. Like, yeah. If, I mean, it's, if it's like if it's on the burial ground right now, can we shift it over? Like, I think I think that's a compromise, right? I thought would that would that would be caught, you know, right away, right? Like, you wouldn't build a someone's statue on, on a graveyard. You would think so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. So, well again, well, again, it's also did the people putting this building statue? Did they know? Did they do it? Was there intent behind that? Or going, we don't care about these Indigenous Australian bones or remains. Uh, we're going to desecrate it. I doubt. And again, I don't see the link. So. Yeah. Well, his statue was unveiled in 2001. So all these things would have been at least in the, discussed. In the, in the public consciousness by 2001. 2001s yeah. would be like pretty recent. Oh, yeah. like, so. We don't obviously have the level of awareness or appreciation that we do today. Yeah. But 2001, there was at least some cognitive awareness of, oh, this is something we shouldn't really be doing. Evidence of the article, they haven't actually done anything wrong. No. So his statue is unveiled in 2001 at the Town Green Park in Port Macquarie on the mid-north coast of New South Wales, 10 metres from a plaque recognising the area as containing a 1,800-year-old Aboriginal graveyard. So we, we have the photo there. It's just uh, Sir Edmund Barton sitting on a wooden bench. And what have we got on post? On I think behind there is what? There's a, there's a pub or something or a hotel. <laughs> yeah. Are we sure this isn't... Uh, so it was a, so next, next, to the, next to the burial site is a pub and a hotel. <laughs> You can see that in, in the background. Oh, gosh. So, this so, is, so should we put a Bob Hawke statue there next to Barton? I don't know. Yeah. So this is a Google image photo that, you know, I, I've pulled out. And then scroll down and I'll, I'll show you there. Now yeah. there's all these posters on there, you know, that you can see one. So it says, there's one that says, stop killing us. No justice, no peace. That's a, a Black Lives Matter slogan. It's yeah. not black versus uh, white. It's black versus racism. That's a good one. Uh, and then there's justice. Uh, there's now. one justice now. Looks like Aboriginal colours. Yeah. So the black on the top, Aboriginal red, flag. and then the yellow. Well, it's not the flag, but it's. Was oh, it stylization? It's stylization. Yeah. 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 So, what happened? What appeared okay before these protests in America? occurred now jumps across the pacific ocean and now touches australia and now the statue is suddenly deemed inappropriate so what we thought was appropriate is now inappropriate yeah and i I think look perhaps it's gone further overboard because now the protests are now taking down george washington statues abraham lincoln emancipation statue which is sponsored by the freed slaves on the event sorry quick interlude here we might quick hist- quick history lesson from the US because I've, I've obviously forgotten, fallen asleep and forgotten. <laughs> Wasn't Abraham Lincoln the one who freed the slaves? Yeah. So last time I checked, like Civil War, like they was, fought a big war over the thing. He was willing to put his presidency over the line to yeah to, yeah. to abolish slavery. That, that last 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 history book I read, I thought that was the case. So yeah. why is he now a racist? <laughs> that makes zero like. I'm obviously missing something here. Perhaps he's a hero of the Republican Party because he is Republican. Very true. Well, he was the only founder of the Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, because he's linked to the abolishment of slavery, he's mm. a symbol to the Democrats of something good that they want to tear down. Yeah. Right? Not, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any logic to be found in that one, no, to be totally honest. It's, it's, he is a white US president, white people bad, problem solved. Well argument uh, there's your argument unfortunately yeah. and, I, and it's a really really destructive one to boot as well so 
have you looked at the emancipation statue photo oh uh, yes i have yeah, yeah so yeah so it, it's like abraham lincoln he's standing there he has his arm out and then depending which angle you are mm. you can see the black african slave he's crouched uh he has a chain on his on his arm mm. but the chain is broken and that statue was sponsored by the, the freed slaves mm. to honor emancipation yeah and what i'll do is i'll play a video from a guide here people tend to think of that figure as being servile but if you uh, second look you will see something different perhaps that man is not kneeling on two knees with his head bowed he is in the act of getting up and his head is up not bowed because he's looking forward to a uh, future of freedom People have said, well, he's chained to Mr. Lincoln. Closer look, you will see that while there's a shackle on his right hand, he's holding the end of a broken chain, which means he has taken his freedom. He now realizes he's free. So I say, leave it, let it stand. One of the ladies who's trying to counter protest because mm. they want to tear down that statue there. Of course they do, yeah. If you did not know the history of the statue and you looked at it, it looked yeah. like, you know, Abraham Lincoln was sort of like, lording over this person when i first saw the photo I, that looks really weird why is that why did they choose that yeah but as as we just heard in that video there's a lot of there's a beautiful message and story being told in each of the different elements from the slave starting to rise back up the yeah. broken chain all these sort of things so he's kneeling but mm. he's in the process of getting up yeah. so so it looked like that in the first place and mm. and that's what this uh like american woman yeah. was uh saying and she was trying to counter protest and then his and obviously that attracted some attention oh, and, and he had the black lives matter uh movement and he had a counter protester by who was like a tour guide okay so well, we'll show you that one too Oh my goodness. Yeah, so uh, but what happened was that you you see uh I don't know what, what is she uh, is she black? I can't she doesn't Yeah, I'd, I'd say African American. African American. Yeah. So African American black black lives matter. Yep. Lady mm. with a mask on. She's dressed all in black and then she has a I don't know is it was a beanie back, or, or, like ben, a ben, or bandana. And oh, then yeah, you, and then yeah. you have a, a counter protester wearing with the sign that says DC well, he's the tour guide. Yeah, he's the tour guide. Oh, I'm trying to see what the, what it actually says on the on the thing. Oh, cool. it's a D, black DC tours. You black see black DC tours. He, yeah, he looks like. Well, he, I mean, he looks smartly dressed. He has a, a white long shirt, and mm. then he has a, a vest. Is it like a cap on top? Yeah. Well, 
she seems to be more aggressive, saying, "Oh yeah, like he's trying to tell her the story. He's trying to tell her the story, explain the story of the statue." Yeah, and well, her core argument is, "Why are you fighting me? You, you're you're black, just like me." Like you can tell by the tone that she's more aggressive oh, than, yeah. than him, and all he's saying is like. Who paid for it? Like, what is the history behind it? Yeah. Because if you listen to the first lady, mm. it was, well, and you also actually did your homework that it's sponsored by the freed slaves. So it's it's meant to honor there rather than, like, if. Rather if, than condemn. Yeah, rather than condemn. Belittle. Because yeah. if you look, took it at face value, then it's like, no. Mm. And you've got, the, you've got the third guy as well. I think he's, the third guy that enters into that debate as well, he's trying to mediate the situation as well but i think he's dressed as frederick uh, frederick douglas yeah and, and he's trying to say look you guys are arguing and they're this whatever movement is coming in is trying to divide the black american people oh, yeah trying to yeah. divide and conquer well it's a mark of irony that you've got one black woman yelling abuse and profanity at another black man and she's claiming she's fighting racism <laughs> there's a great irony i think to that oh yeah because, again, if, if you want to fight racists, cool. Go go tell me who the racists are, and we'll go, okay, are they, are they actually genuinely racist? Then I'll fight with you. Yeah. If not, though, you've got no leg to stand on. Yeah. And you've got really a really, really poor argument. I think this, yeah, this, protest, this particular micro-protest illustrates that point perfectly, because we have got a situation where we've got a statue that is lifting up and humanizing black people when historically they were seen as not human or subhuman or worse and we're looking at it going that statue is something to be condemned well only if you did not know the history of it yes. which is what the this lady in the black lives matter yeah. is is trying to expose the fact that she's not answering mm. him at all because she doesn't know when he's challenged by the guy here saying well who paid for it mm. who made it what does it mean it's and like, again the same people who I can't hear over the, couldn't hear over the noise, but she's just saying the same people. It's like white people. Well, no, and that's the real beauty of the statue is that it was paid by the freed slaves as per the first interview. Yeah. So what we'll see in this our last video is uh, the, the tour guide trying to explain to the protesters mm. what was happening with or what is the basic history of yeah. this uh, statue. You see, a lot of people are out here talking about tearing something down that they don't even know the history of. If you're going to protest something, protest turning it back the way it was facing, which was the Capitol. That's the way that statue was facing. Y'all don't even know the history of this statue, but you want to tear it down because you are offended. Listen, and let me say one other thing to all of the people that live in the community. But, but, babe, I work for myself. Don't nobody pay me to do nothing. I do this for myself. And for all of the people in the community that's so upset, give him the freedom. Why didn't you clean this statue up? Why haven't you cleaned up around it, community? You're so upset and you want to tear it down, but you won't even clean up around it. Okay? It don't matter. Anyway, so, yeah, he's he's angry that they don't know the history about it. Yeah. And they won't even honor it or even clean up around it. And you can, you can hear some of the boos in the background by some people who are just, I guess, ignorant about what he's trying to say. I say this with a level of sadness that there is a massive 
education deficit problem in America at the moment, yeah. where if you talk to Americans, and it's not all Americans, but if you talk to to a, a fair chunk of them, they don't know their own history. They haven't been taught it. They haven't thought to go and look for themselves of what the history of their nation is. And so they're ignorant. When they hear, oh, there's a statue commemorating racists, they go, well, I'm not a racist. I want to do the right thing. Let's go tear it down. If they stopped and thought, who was Abraham Lincoln? What, why, who was he? What did he do? What is the statue representing? You go, hang on, that's not a racist statue. That's not commemorating a racist, a racist cause. And again, we get into some dicey territory because there are a lot of statues in the US commemorating war heroes who fought with the Confederacy, yeah, with the South, who were pro, who were pro-slavery. They were fighting in the Civil War uh, back in the 1800s for uh, for the preservation of slavery in, in the United States. See, I've I've also heard differently that oh sure, a lot of the Confederate soldiers did not even own slaves at all. That is very true, and they were more about states' rights rather than slavery. Yes. And for the, and initially, mm. the the Civil War was about states' rights. Yeah, but for the Union, it mm. evolved into emancipation and Absolutely. freedom. Absolutely, yeah. Whereas the Confederates, it sort of mm. still stayed with states' yeah. rights. Because yeah. no one's saying yeah, slavery. Right? Of course not. No, no one's. I think at the end of the day, in order to own slaves, you needed to be a landowner. A and B, you need to be extraordinarily wealthy. Not every single white person in America owned land and was excessively wealthy to own a, a small group of slaves. Yeah. So the common soldiers who were fighting with the Confederates, they lived in the South, thus they were fighting to defend their state from what they saw as an invading force from the North. Yeah. I can totally understand that argument. I'm trying to remember, is it, is it General Lee? I've forgotten Rob, his name. Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee. He was on the Confederate side, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But Fasc- he was more Virginian. He was he, yeah, well he it's yeah. fascinating because he was he fought with the with the American general army at the time, but when there was this split between North and South, he went to defend his home his home. Yeah. So Abraham Lincoln offered him a position yeah. with the Union yeah. and he said, Well, I'm more of a Virginian man. Like, I, 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 want to, I want to go back to my state. I need to home. fight for my state. Yeah. And I can have a lot of respect for that. However, what his state was doing, what his state was advocating for, was evil. Where I think in the counter, essentially the alternative American government that was put forward by the Confederates, because the Confederates had their own president they were putting forward. as Here is our replacement uh, to counter Abraham Lincoln and the White House. Mm. Uh, they had their own constitution. In their constitution, they did say, clear as day, one of the things we're fighting for is the preservation and the expansion of slavery in America. I think that we have an issue, one, one issue where both arguments of was the Civil War over slavery or was the, was the Civil War over states' rights? I suspect it was probably a bit of both, I yeah. think, at the end of the day. You've got a problem today. A lot of those Civil War, we'll call them heroes for sake of, sake of the argument, uh, a lot of uh, generals and the commanders... They now have statues in the in the southern states commemorating them. Now I can understand the argument of going, well, dude, you're commemorating someone who fought for the continuation of slavery. That's not a good thing. Mm. I think it was Trump. It might be Trump. I can't remember who came up with the idea or put forward the idea of well, why don't we just put them in museums? Yeah, I think that's a good compromise, honestly. Yeah. However, the Abraham Lincoln statue—that's a testament to history. A George Washington statue. 
uh, those are testaments to history. Those shouldn't be taken down. Mm. I mean, I was surprised to learn, uh, what is it? Uh, there's a... Um... So I know Germany, they had a Lenin statue raised recently. Yeah. Well, the same, there's, a Lenin, there's a Lenin statue in, in uh, New York City, in America, yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, there's one of Karl Marx. Like, though, these are things that are there. Though, Karl they, Marx... They have a far more dubious history than those guys. Karl so. Marx's philosophies were responsible for untold amounts of human suffering in the Soviet Union. Do we then hold him culpable for that? No, because he's figure of the left. And he's of course not. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that, then you've got this massive blind spot that's now emerged because you're going, well, we need to take out these group because these are bad people, but we're not going to take out, out our darlings because they're ours. Yeah. And you go, well, you can't have it both ways. That's Apparently you can. Well, apparently, <laughs> sorry, correction. We're living in 2020. Apparently you can have yeah. your cake and eat it too. Yes. Oh, it's like, I saw the Gandhi statues being defaced as well. It's like, he was a leader who tried to, you know, push for Indian independence. Yeah. And he did it in the most peaceful way at all. Mm through non-violence yeah. and he still got defaced as well I would love to work out the logic for that one I, I believe that was because um, his daughter they they were trying to clear out some of the Sikh um, extremists within the area sure so it, it's in the article excuse, um, excuse but, me yeah. while I bang my head against the brick wall for a little bit <laughs> I'll come back in a few minutes yeah alright <laughs> All right, so what what else is going crazy around us or what, what I think is Oh you, has oh, inflamed. You, oh, you found more stuff? I have found more <laughs> stuff. So, well, you got the World War One cenotaph um, in the UK being mm. defaced as well. So, honoring the war dead. And oh, it just gosh. people putting Black Lives Matter or racist on top of it. It's like, it wasn't even about that. It was about trying to fight, you know, for freedom to preserve each other's um, country while a imperial Germany mm. like, was trying to expand out. Yeah, it was going like, oh, we'd like some of that. Yeah. So, J.K. Rowling's. Oh, yes. Her publishing uh, agency... Has drawn attention. So her staff are trying to boycott her because she was supporting some of these, another professor who was, who got banned mm -hmm. basically for stating, you know, biological gender is a real gender. But Johnny, we're living in 2020. You can't do that. Apparently you can. <laughs> so JK Rowling's, right? So she is very progressive. She supports oh, yeah. LGBT rights mm. and the race rights. Well, obviously LGBT. Not the T, obviously. Oh, according to other people, yeah, not the T. <laughs> even though she does acknowledge that it's uh, hard for the T's. But, you know, she's willing to reveal extra character history. Like, you know, Dumbledore was gay. Mm. Hermione was black. Even though she was part of the, the vetting um, or, or um, was it a consultant on, yeah. on his first movies. Yeah. So Emma Watson was Hermione. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. she got swallowed up by these activists because she, she eventually she they could not change her mind anymore mm. about biological sex, and she said that biological sex is real, and supported this professor who was fired over some tweets about trans right. ideology. So eventually she got swallowed up as well. Yeah. No matter how how woke you are, yeah. you you get thrown out. Well, you've got also uh, was it um. The guy who does the Tonight Show, uh, Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. So he got caught doing a bunch of blackface oh. skits from what years and years, like easily, like I think like ten years ago or something, in one of his skits. So he's now had to step down from the show, or he was one of these. I think he's taken a sabbatical or something. Yeah. He got resoundingly chewed up, chewed out. He's been taking pot shots at Trump for the last four four years. Going, it's like, 
hey, I'm, I'm on the left. I'm with one of you guys. And suddenly they're, eat, they're, they're eating their own. You, you couldn't pass the ideological purity test. Yeah. It's, uh, it's tragic. Like, yeah. No, you push, you know, to the 99% woke area. Mm. But you're not 100%. Therefore, you get thrown out. Exactly. Yeah. It's like right. too, we're, we're, our club is too elite for you. All right. Cool. All right. So I was talking to someone about all the stuff that was happening. And it didn't really go anywhere because it felt like I was on the receiving end of an emotional torrent. And what we talked about was some of the, the Black Lives Matter movement and it jumped over to Australia. And now what what this person was saying is that, you know, she, she was a white person who's descended from many generations of Australians and that they she benefited from all the wealth and advantages that the generations had and passed on to the next generation. So therefore, she, she said she was privileged. Right. And I thought, well, maybe there's some kind of nuance in there. Is there any room for autonomy? Is there mm. any room for hard work? Mm. Um, like, do we have to always acknowledge our privilege in front of people less unfortunate? Yeah. Because what I think makes a difference is rather than saying privilege which is the, the tone that the person said it was mm. is that i should be feeling grateful for what i have received because we're all born with different advantages and different disadvantages we're, we're born with a deck of cards we're, right life deals out a deck of cards. Li- life is generally unfair but yeah. you try to make the best use of it mm. and rather than trying to acknowledge it all the time as in trying to acknowledge your own privilege just be grateful try to be the best person you are and help other people. Because if I challenge her and say, okay, why not just... Because what what does Black Lives Matter movement is to acknowledge your privilege and Mm. then try to, say, put in repatriations. So give up your privileges Mm. and transfer it to other people to make this flat playing field. Wealth transfer. And it's like, well, okay, are you going to give up your house? Are you going to give up your car to the, the next indigenous person? No, of course not. I found that when I've come across this in social media, you know, the Facebook, and just talking to some people, mm. this isn't an uncommon belief about the privilege bit, being yeah. so focused on the privilege rather than being grateful. Mm. So, I think we need to address that. Like, yeah. do we always have to have this kind of belief that we are, you know, always acknowledge our privilege, mm. and then what's going to happen to your next generation? Like, your next generation has nothing. Has no, nothing racist yet. Yeah, and then you're going to a blank slate. You, you're going to start imposing these ideas that you are privileged. Like they're, they're going to be feel feeling guilty. Like we've talked about this. I think in, that's already happening now, though. Yeah, but if you know my, these people who believe this idea, yeah. then the next generation will believe this. Yeah, and it's like you know the sunflower. We talked about the one of the Jewish. Um, journalist yes. he went to the berlin he saw the berlin wall fell yeah and then he went to talk to some of the local some of the germans uh, yeah the germans and then they were like they couldn't feel anything they were still guilted by the holocaust yeah but by what their country what, yeah. what their government had done yeah so something that's generally happy mm. uh, a general joyful time of being you know re- reunification mm-hmm. in germany like well, they, we, we said at the time they were a broken people yeah they become broken and the the guilt of the Holocaust has mm. sort of chained them back to the past that yeah. they can't ever move forward. Yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head there that what these arguments are doing is they, they by their very nature, they are incredibly toxic 
to any nation that seeks to engage, a group of people that seeks to engage with them, because A, it is dividing people by their by an immutable characteristic, which is their skin colour. Black, white, yellow, brown, red, whatever, right? It's saying you are nothing but your skin colour, which is, by the, by the way, the complete opposite of what Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about in his very famous I Have a Dream speech, mm-hmm. that... I've forgotten what the speech was. Hold on. Um, uh, that people are judged by the content of the character rather than the, than the skin. That we're not judged by the color of your skin, but the content of your character. Well, now it's flipped. Now it's now it's flipped. Yeah, it's like your co- your character, your individuality means absolutely nothing. What matters is your collective block. Yeah. And in this case, we've chosen chosen skin color to divide you. There's no hope from that. There's no escape or no way to move forward or get out of that because it's an unchanging ca- uh, characteristic. I mean, yeah. What is the problem? So we have no, or we have weak philosophy, beliefs, and understanding of history, right? Mm. So we, we've seen the protester and how she was just going on about, and pretty much ignorance mm. when he was challenged about history. We're held captive by the latest ideas communicated online through social media and it's very turbulent very quick and it can be inaccurate uh, we don't know where we came from we don't know what we stand for nowadays like there is a void in us mm. right because we've thrown away maybe we've gone secularized we've tried to move away from religion we try to move away from tradition and try to yeah. move, be progressive but in human nature that's what i think is that we we long to be seen as virtuous and upright but what happens when you do away with this system that shows that you're virtuous upright, right, through established tradition and yeah. religion? And I think human ideas will take you, you take your mind captive, uh, that are outproducts of an institution that were based on, say, Christian values or being made in the image of God and being, and therefore respecting human dignity, tolerance. Mm. These outproducts of human dignity and tolerance are taken to form a new system ultimately end up contradicting each other so you know if the christian value is tolerance dignity and all that kind of stuff yeah we can't form these out products because they're part of the basis of the religion yeah and so if you just value dignity and tolerance and set that as your new system they end up contradicting each other because let's say let's take the example of women's sport sure women's sport you respect women's you know, right and woman tolerance and yeah. and their part to compete. Now you also have to respect the trans rights. And we already know how messy putting trans rights in with female sports yes. is that one side will end up dominating the other, which is usually the trans trans tra- women. The trans women who yeah. used to be biological male yeah. dominating the female. But you respect both sides on the playing field yeah. and respect both dignities. Yeah. How do you resolve this? And we find that these values grind against right. each other because there's n- there's no founding founding base for those values to exist upon. Well, you, you you're just saying tolerance is the ultimate virtue mm-hmm. without understanding contextually and why. Like if we're delving to, we're delving into philosophy, why is tolerance the highest of all virtues? And I think that if you ask that question, you can't. You're not going. We're not going to get some very good answers or effective answers coming back to us when we pose these sort of questions so the, the whole turbulence thing of being thrown back and forth by the being taken captive by the latest fad on the media that's this is not something new so 
you know, I'll probably dive into a passage from the Bible, and it goes Ephesians four eleven to fourteen, where mm. Paul gives a context of spiritual maturity for Christians, and they need to be resilient against non-Christian ideas and philosophy, lest they be taken captive. So he says, and he gave them the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, but until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So in the religion, mm. he's saying that, guys, if you don't know your own beliefs, you don't know your own religion, if mm. you don't learn from the teachers, the prophets, then you're like a child. Yeah. You are going to be taken back and forth by the waves of human ideas. And I guess you can say the waves of you know social media. You just get thrown. You don't have any stable ground to stand on. Mm. And here's another one. So I'll be delving into this, but this is Marcus Aurelius, the one of the last good emperors of Rome. So he says, Do external things distract you. Then make time for yourself to learn something worthwhile. Stop letting yourself be pulled in all directions make sure you guard against the other kind of confusion. People who labor all their lives but have no purpose to direct every thought and impulse toward are wasting their time, even when hard at work. So be on guard of any external influence that will pull you in these different directions. right? So knowledge is akin to physical immaturity. And the consequence is that, yeah, you're trying to go... and have one purpose in your life, no, you'll be poured in all sorts of directions. You'll end up wasting your time. That's what he says. And then he also says, concentrate every minute like a Roman, like a man, on doing what's in front of you with precise and genuine seriousness, tenderly, willingly, with justice, and on freeing yourself from all distractions. Yes, you can, if you do everything as if it was the last thing you were doing in your life. And stop being aimless. Stop letting your emotions override what your mind tells you. Stop being hypocritical, self-centered, irritable. You see how few things you have to do to live a satisfying and reverent life. If you can manage this, that's all even the gods can ask of you. I think I think something interesting, especially in this last quote, or this last quote you would have just read, is that it's a call to action. It's a call to purpose and meaning. And I think that that is what a lot of faiths and philosophies alike all present to you they present they present you a purpose and a meaning for your existence so christianity you are a you're made in the image of god thus you have meaning and value Mm -hmm. you are a roman citizen so that means that you have a responsibility and a duty to do good for rome we've chucked all of these traditions and values faith all of these things out the window in our in our society today we've chucked all this stuff out we're now left without a purpose we're now left without a mission something to strive for that is beyond ourselves so we're trying to fill our life in with all of these little micro wars micro battles trying to find a purpose yeah well i think it's like if you have a void if we've thrown away that what used to be accepted as good Mm. and traditional and of value you throw that away What's those, those same fumes are still inside your body and oh, yeah. then something stronger will fill it. Mm. And unfortunately, it's 
I think it's the Black Lives Matter movement, the the pursuit for ultra tolerance. Yeah. So those last two quotes, they were from Marcus Aurelius, who is the last Roman emperor, and we talked about that. And he was also a champion of Stoicism. So what's your impression of Stoicism? I don't know a lot about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think most people would think it's like Buddha, mm. Spock, Jedi, Jedi, <laughs> uh, the monks. You know, like they're like calm all the time, emotionless, poker face, that kind of uh, thing. Can't express pleasure. Can't express joy or grief at all. Yeah. And I think when you picked up that last bit about taking action, mm. it's not that being secluded in the middle of nowhere. It's actually taking mm. purposeful action. Can I, can I just say, if yeah. I can get a phaser or a lightsaber and, go, and if that's the deal for going and being stoic, then you know what? Sign me up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what, okay, so what is stoicism? And it's a belief that says virtue is the highest calling in your life mm. and this is a way of living a purposeful life. So there's four virtues, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, uh, which is also known as wisdom, morality, courage, and moderation. Anything which distracts from those um, good virtues is seen as negative. And it's about being in control and enjoying the moment. So not mm-hmm. being anxious, not trying to look too far in the future and being worried about this stuff. But you know what? There's something uh, pleasant in front of you. Enjoy mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And so you had uh, Marcus Aurelius and yeah. you also had the slave Epictetus, mm-hmm. who championed the school of this Greek philosophy. Mm-hmm. And in essence, yeah, so good virtues, there's good virtues, there's bad virtues. And there are things that you should be indifferent about. Yeah. And perhaps though that last bit is something that can be applied to nowadays. So mm. to don't get swayed back and forth by the was it by microaggressions. If yeah. they're so tiny, <laughs> why are you fussing about it? On a, on a scale well, good coping mechanism I was taught was you're looking at a problem, put that problem on a spectrum of one to ten. One being the lowest, ten being the highest. If it's sitting at like one, two, three, co- there are ways that you can deal with that situation and get and move on, get over it. If it's a seven, eight, nine, ten, you know what? Then that's something to get worked up about, and then you go, okay, we need to sort, we need to escalate and do something more about it, yeah. right? But when you treat problem as automatic ten every single time, regardless of its scale or regardless of what it is, you can't cope with that. you'd self-implode yeah i mean and what better than to learn from a a roman emperor so someone who's led for 19 years of a empire which can be is characterized what by political fighting insurrections invaders from barbarians you know for the emperor life was public and well known Mm. and you were held to scrutiny held for large responsibility and had to make major decisions so marcus realist we'll just quickly go through his life he grew up with many teachers. Uh, a Greek actually introduced him to Stoicism and it, and it was said that uh, from history that he studied philosophy with Arger even as a youth. For when he was 12 years old, he adopted the dress and a little later, the hardiness of a philosopher pursuing his studies clad in a rough Greek cloak and sleeping on the ground. At his mother's solicitation, however, he reluctantly consented to sleep on a couch strewn with skins. To receive instruction, furthermore, from the teacher of that Commodus, who is destined later to be a kinsman of his, namely Apollonius of Chalcedon, the Stoic. So what does that bit say? 
the bit about the rough Greek cloak that's like the Spartan. So mm. I don't know if you watch Three Hundred, where they all just pretty much just dressing like cloaks and battling it out yep. uh, to toughen the Spartan warrior. They were to sleep on the floor. Uh, they ate black porridge, which was made of pig's blood. They ate coarse bread, had cold showers, and they only had a cloak as a clothing. So the yep. idea is that you're know, toughen up these warriors to make them strong by having them put in live a pretty much hard life mm. or stoic life. Yeah. So he was made emperor after his father died. But instead of just taking all the power for himself, he actually raised his brother to be co-emperors and split the duties between themselves. And they both used their personal wealth to relieve a disaster. So there's a flood of the River Tiber. Mm. And they didn't use like, you know, the country's fund. They actually used their own funds, their own personal wealth. Uh, they attended every court meeting to reform old laws and trying to make new ones. And he also actually tolerated free speech from the critics. You know, when you're the emperor, you have the right to execute your critics, but they actually... You know, by being stoic, he actually endured and tolerated that kind of stuff. Uh, when there was one war that he waged, uh, he used his own personal wealth and family treasure, like they're selling, you know, family cloaks, clothing to raise funds for the war rather than raise new taxes. And what he's famous for is writing a book called Meditations, which was actually not meant for publication, but was more of a journal that he kept while he was away from Rome and at war. Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. If the classical philosophers, early Christian fathers, and men like Marcus Aurelius were to look at the divided state of society, they would not be surprised. From what Pat and I tried to capture was that the anger and rage of the population is actually very natural, as people act on their instincts. Only through self-reflection, learning, and humility can one survive the storm of society as it invades our personal lives. It's actually very natural and tribalistic to flare up like the protesters. I think that's why it's very hard to capture all the thoughts and rationalize a protesters' thinking. It's just that the anger and rage of humanity has taken on a new form. When I see the behavior of the protesters screaming at a tour guide about the emancipation statue, it actually doesn't surprise me anymore. Rather, I admire the tour guide for standing up for his convictions based on history and facts. It takes real courage to pause and think to yourself, perhaps I'm on the wrong side. And now, back to the show. to the show we've just talked about Marcus Aurelius and his life and we're going to go into 
his book, Meditations, and we'll go through we'll go through some of the themes and go through some of the passages. So, book one of Meditations is actually a theme of being grateful, and surprisingly, it is not you know talking about himself. It is actually acknowledging his family, his teachers, his friends. So. It goes, my first teacher, not to support this side or that in chariot racing, this fighter or that in the games, to put up with discomfort and not make demands, to do my own work, mind my own business, and have no time for slanderers. You know, those are pretty good things to learn, and he acknowledges it to his first teacher. You know, this is actually a good tip, you know, not to choose sides, be hardworking, put up the demands of the work, have no time for bad mouthing. Maximus, doing your job without whining. Generosity, charity, honesty, the sense he gave of staying on, on the path rather than being kept on it. A sense of humor. So again, you know, people think Stoicism, we think like, you know, Spock, we think of uh, who is it, Buddha, we think of Jedi monks and those kind of people. No, you know what? Being stoic also means having a sense of humor. He, he acknowledges it. He appreciates it. My adopted father. So it was actually the, the previous emperor before him. He was also considered a good emperor of Rome. He attributes his respectful people who practice philosophy at least. Those who were sincere about it, but without denigrating the others or listening to them. His ability to feel at ease with people uh, and put them at their ease without being pushy. Self-reliance, always, and cheerfulness. This in particular, his willingness to yield the floor to experts in oratory, law, psychology, whatever, and to support them energetically so that each of them could fulfill his potential. So he's learning from the previous emperor, you know, tolerance, you know, letting other people practice their own beliefs don't uh, badmouth them and don't listen to anyone who badmouths them. So don't listen to those critics who would badmouth those people practicing philosophy. Uh, you know, you think, you know, being emperor, you get to have your own way, but it's like, uh, I don't have to be pushy. I can always be self-reliant. Um, I'm always happy to delegate or yield, yield to the experts. So I'm not always having to hold everything too close to myself. So, he starts off with book one, being grateful and actually learning from the past. You know, th th those are some very good values that we too should hold ourselves. I think I think you raise a good point there that if I contrast this attitude to what we see today, everything is a competition. Everything is a race to get on top of other people and get ahead. I make a post on, on social media, on Facebook. I'm constantly looking for how many likes I get as compared to my friends or as compared to people posting similar things to me. It's always this race. And what this attitude is saying is instead of looking at what other people have and comparing what you have to them, stop and go, what do I have in this life right now that is good? Yeah. And be grateful for that. That's the first thing you do. Because then you go, oh, I might not have as much stuff or as, as much as the person over there, but I've actually got 
a lot of good stuff here right in front of me right now. I can strive to achieve more, absolutely, but where I'm at right now, it might not be perfect. There might be bad stuff going on, but I can find the positive. I can find small glimmers of good within all of the mess. Yeah, and it's, you know, that nuance being between being grateful and feeling advantage and privileged mm. and therefore sort of, I would say that there's a little bit of guilt there because you're, you're now seeing that because you're privileged, therefore you need to acknowledge it, mm. which is what I've been getting to a few conversations about. Yeah. You know, for Marcus, he stayed in power with his own skill because of his experience with learning. He was grateful. He learned the lessons from his, the previous emperor. Mm. And it takes a certain amount of skill to stay as an emperor. Otherwise, you get assassinated. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, you end up, you know, consuming... You abuse your power. You abuse your power. You're like, you know, you're like Nero um, mm. or you're like one of the, the bad emperors. Yeah. Like, not many people know that, but if you, if you remember the movie, well, and it's based on history, is that Marcus Aurelius, he actually didn't do quite a good job as being a father because mm. his son was Commodus. Oh, yes, that's And right. if you remember the movie... Gla uh, Gladiator, right? Gladiator, yeah. yeah. So his son was like a numbskull, effectively, <laughs> to put, to put and, and abusing his power and just spending all his time in the Gladiator, gladiator games. Yeah. Whereas in, well, I've done a bit, dig a bit of history, but Marcus Aurelius was actually, he was signing documents. He was still doing work in front of the, in front of the theater, in front of the races. Like he was, and, and people actually made fun of him for that. Yeah. Like he was like, okay, I'm not, you know, um, Maybe he's a bit of workaholic, yeah, Take, taking your front, taking homework in front of the TV or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, well, I guess, well, I guess for for all, for all his um, good attributes, I, I guess he can still be called human. Oh wait, hang on, didn't the didn't Roman emperors think they were gods? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I, th I think they suffered from the same problem with the uh, the Egyptians. But <laughs> yeah, I think I don't think he was. He thought himself as a god. Like, if he's taking yeah. that Spartan mm. kind of lifestyle. Well, if you're going to write... And we do the same thing with a lot of books. We have an acknowledgements page, usually at the start of the book. We have the same sort of thing with books, where if you are an author and you write a... Usually it's one of the first pages in your... When you open the book up, is that you have an acknowledgements page. Sometimes it's at the back. But what, what Marcus Aurelius has done is, when he's sitting down to compile his book, the very first thing that he does is he writes about what he is grateful for and i think that that is a an attribute it's probably, is that virtue a Th that is a that is a virtue yeah that is quite admirable and something that i think today that we can look towards yeah. going hey is there some bit of wisdom that we can glean from our forefathers that we can apply today and, that, and that's the beauty of of knowing history so that we can look back and go okay what have people figured out before how can we use that knowledge today? But it's also one more one more thing is mm. that I think people like to compare themselves with each other and say, ah, oh, because that person has that, I want to have that too. Mm. You should be comparing yourself with your previous past and see your progress. And that's been the grateful bit. And that's yeah. seeing how you've grown as a person. Yeah. Because if you're comparing yourself with another person, you're always going to be like um, greedy or you're going to be yeah. like envious of that person has something that you don't have. Mm. Which is funny enough why I think if you go to the Ten Commandments in the Bible, one of those commandments is, uh, and I'll just... Do not covet. 
uh, do, not, do not covet your neighbor's possessions. So his wife, his donkeys. Mm. One of the commandments there that addresses this exact flaw in human nature of do not covet your neighbor's possessions. I think that in this case, I think that God looked at this and went, okay, human nature is by default is to desire what other people have around them. So pretty much he's writing a rule saying, this is bad, do not do it. Yeah. Because it'll lead to nothing but destruction. Yeah. All right. Anyway, Next point. I digress. One thing he picks up on is life is temporal. He says, yes, keep on degrading yourself, soul, but soon your chance at dignity will be gone. Everyone gets one life. Yours is almost used up. And instead of treating yourself with respect, you've entrusted your own happiness to the souls of others. I think that's sort of picking up the thing that we just talked about. about yeah, wow. Uh, letting other people dictate your own happiness, letting other people judge you. Well, it's like, well, you only have one life. Mm. Why, why set the conditions for your happiness on someone else? Who, why let someone else determine the destiny of your own happiness? Yeah. Next, even if you're going to live 3,000 more years or 10 times that, remember, you cannot lose another life than the one you're living now or live another one than the one you're losing. The longest amounts to the same as the shortest. A present is the same for everyone. Its loss is the same for everyone. And it should be clear that a brief instant is all that is lost. For you can't lose either the past or the future. How could you lose what you don't have? And I think it's like, you can't change your past mm -hmm. and your future. You don't know much about that future. You only have the present. Mm -hmm. Make the best use of it because it's what you have at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, life is um, life is temporal. And then to be swallowed up with unhelpful ideas, ideologies, I think you're wasting your own time. Mm -hmm. You're wasting your own life. Like not many people get the chance of you know being like that Martin Luther King and even he died at the cost of it you know you don't have those chances or not many of us get those opportunities to write that bit write that part of history that's not to say that you shouldn't fight for it but it's you can do so much better than throwing your, your time at that well there's also yes there are the grand players of history we can look back to the history books and see all these giants sitting um, of doing great things, right? There's also the small things, the everyday things as well. The stereotype is uh, walking an old lady across the street or resting a cat out of a tree or something. But I think those kind of capture the idea of there are small, grounded, everyday, selfless acts that they do. Well, I think it's because... You it, say that old lady thing, right? You're trying to walk the old lady across the street. How did that come about? Because you were walking, walking across the street. You've noticed and you picked up that this lady needs help crossing mm. the street. So you seize that moment in the present yeah. to walk her across. If your head was in a cloud, think about privilege and guilt mm. and indigenous people and yeah. black people. Like you are not probably so. too confused or your, your head's in the cloud. So you're not able to... Yeah picked it up not to say that those things aren't important things to think about but but you're living the future i think in some ways we're looking we're looking at too grand a scale one thought that i've that i try to live out in my own life is the idea of defining what my circle of influence is if i can make sure that my own life is 
trying to live, live my life the best that I know how, that then I can impact the lives of close friends, family, so the relationships I've got with them. Once those are good, then I can expand my circle of influence further and go, okay, they are my next door neighbors or friends in my social group, for example. Well, as those relationships are made more positive, I can focus on bigger groups. We're, what we're doing is we're going, well, my life is a bit of a mess right now, but I'm going to try and focus on a big societal issue and try to change that. And we realize, we go, wow, there's so much stuff going, so much bad stuff going on, we don't know how to fix it. So we're, we're going to voice and say that this is wrong, but we've got no tangible way to actually execute change on that. Well, it's also the fact that if you can't even fix your own life, what gives you the right to fix other people's life? It's mm. like you're acting as a hypocrite because you're saying one thing but not even applying it to your own life. Well, it's the pro- it's the protests in Brisbane, uh, the climate change protests we had last year, oh, where they're sitting there protesting climate change while stopping traffic. Yeah. And the irony of ironies, you've got all these cars pumping CO2 into the atmosphere because they're on the roads and they can't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. There's um, a, there's an irony there. Uh, quite, I find that, I find that quite humorous. But <laughs> at the same token, it's quite sad because you're going, hey, pumping CO two into the atmosphere is not necessarily a good thing. We shouldn't be doing it if we don't have to. But if you want to protest about it, cool. But your actions have contributed to more CO two than they would have otherwise been. Yeah. So you've shot yourself in your foot. It's a classic case example of what I was just talking about. I'm just thinking climate change stuff will come back again once this corona stuff goes away. Yes, where uh, where where is the climate change, the earth is dying stories, by the way? I'm missing those. Oh, we're too busy doing protests. Yes. Yeah, so, well, <laughs> well, funny enough, life, life was simple. The, the world was ending in the next 12 years. That's uh, now. I, 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 want that, I, want, I want those stories back again. All right. Okay, next Care, theme. Careful what I wish for. Next next theme. People are misguided and you should tolerate it. So he says, when you wake up in the morning, tell yourself that people I deal with today will be meddling, ungrateful, arrogant, dishonest, jealous, and, and surely. They are like this because they can't tell good from evil. But I have seen the beauty of good and the ugliness of evil and have recognized that the wrongdoer has a nature related to my own. Not of the same blood or birth, but the same mind, and possessing a share of the divine. And so none of them can hurt me, no one can implicate me in ugliness, nor can I feel angry at my relative or hate him. We were born to work together like feet, hands, and eyes, like the two rows of teeth, upper and lower. To obstruct each other is unnatural. To feel anger at someone, to turn your back on him, these are obstructions. So it's saying, well, you know, if someone gets up at you, it's or makes or annoys you, it's it's not because they're actually deliberately evil. You know, they're doing evil against you. Mm-hmm. They're actually misguided, and you know what? You should put up with that because we're all human. We're all fallible in our own sense. I think this this is quite applicable to the argument of the Confederate war heroes statues, because. We're holding them to the moral standard of today where their attitudes on race are being applied 200 years in the past. And we're now saying they are not holding 
what we know to be true today so that means they are automatically bad people and they need to be torn down what's the, what's the movie that was on uh, amazon i think or foxtel uh the civil war movie something uh something south what gone to the wind that's it thank you yes Is it? it was right. something yeah i was trying to remember what it was yeah <laughs> sorry i drew a complete blank on that so start anyway, again anyway start again well that well that plays out in the same thing with the with gone in the wind where that was a movie made in its time talking about a period of a period of american history it's now being banned and being censored because it doesn't it talks about attitudes of the day that don't gel or fit nicely with our attitudes that we have today well i think it was like was it um what's the lady's name she had a fun, funny name the, the main character scarlet oh scarlet yeah, scarlet yeah. scarlet had uh, a black housemaid a black housemaid yeah servant sort of thing yeah which was also a slave because yeah. that was she was living in the south yeah that that was the trigger to go not Cut yeah, that exactly. movie away. Yeah. Even though that lady won, sorry, the actress playing that character won an Academy Award and was like one of the first African American to win it. Yeah, yeah. Again, points out the irony of we're protesting something which actually, in some respects, is actually a great achievement for African Americans, especially for the time when the movie was released. There was recognition going, this actress has actually done an incredibly jo- incredible job deserving of an award. And you go, how is that racist? How is that systemically racist society? She wouldn't have been given the award. Plain and simple. Yeah. Anyway, that we, we, uh, yeah. we get well, off into the weeds a peep, bit. Peep, the idea is that people are misguided. Yeah. And, you know, if someone hurts you, maybe it's not they're doing evil against you, but they're just uneducated, misguided. Mm. They don't know what's wrong and right. Uh, the next point, being focused. Stop drifting. You're not going to reread your brief comments, your deeds of the ancient Greeks and Romans, the commonplace books you saved for your old age. Sprint for the finish, write off your hopes, and if your well-being matters to you, be your own savior while you can. He's saying that you're going to save up all those books and you're going to read it at one time. Mm. And it's like, no, nah, just go for it. <laughs> it, says, it says you're not going to reread, though. So it sounds like he's read it already. Mm. I'm, I'm not... But I think for myself, it's like, I don't know, like hobbies, painting yeah. hobbies, miniatures. It's, yeah. it's, I still have a whole bunch of those still in boxes, which <laughs> I have to pile, crack out. We call that a pile of shame. I'm or, you, sure. or you have like, you know, books that are still in shrink wraps. You know, just open it, just use it. Yeah. You, you have only so much time in your life to uh, do all those bits that you were hoping to get done. It links into the principle of life is temporal that you only have one life, so live it to the best of your ability. But also being focused and stop yeah. drifting away. Yeah, not being pulled in all these different directions as well. Just have goals in mind that you want to achieve and then work towards them, strive towards them. Yeah. You're not going to achieve every single one of them. And it's not always going to be an easy walk in the park, but have a direction, have a purpose. Well, it's like this podcast, that you know, this project we started at the beginning of the coronavirus. I'm, yeah. like, I'm surprised we already cracked out 10 episodes. Mm. And it's just through staying focused, having a time to commit together, and yeah, putting in the hard yards to record, upload, and having it for you guys to listen to. So. Exactly. And we're very grateful for our audience as well. Yeah. <laughs> Can't forget them. All right. <laughs> How to tolerate. Someone despises me. That's their problem. Mine, not to do or say anything despicable. Someone hates me. 
their problem. Mine, to be patient and cheerful with everyone, including them. Ready to show them their mistake, not spiteful or to show off my own self-control, but in an honest, upright way, like Phocion. If he wasn't just pretending, that's what we should be like inside and never let the gods catch us feeling anger or resentment. So tolerance is not just, you know, I accept this race, I accept that race. It's actually the manner you engage with them. He's saying being cheerful, not fighting hate with hate, but to be kind, to show them where they fell short and to be self-controlled and just be open and be be upfront. I think that certainly tolerance is a virtue. I do not believe it is the greatest virtue or a virtue unto it, like the greatest of all virtues. We've got a bit of an issue, I think, where we like to divide ourselves into camps, left and right, progressive, conservative, and each group likes to think of itself as we are the tolerant one. But what actually is happening, I think, from looking around the world today and we're going, no, actually... You're tolerant of people you agree, who agrees with what you think. You're intolerant of people who think different. True tolerance is actually going, hey, this is what I believe. Someone else believes something different. That's okay. We can agree to disagree. And he's saying that's their problem, not mine. Yeah. So if someone doesn't like you, it's not a problem with you. It's mm. sometimes it might be them. Yeah. And... It's just, you know, growing a thicker skin and just being happy and just saying, no, I disagree and this is where I think you were wrong. Yeah. And he's not being spiteful of it. He's not being angry towards it in the way he delivers that mm. um, education piece to them. Yeah. All right. Another theme, to be in harmony with the world, being at peace and cheerful. So he says, what is divine is for providence. Even chance is not divorced from nature. From the inweaving and unfolding of things governed by providence... Everything proceeds from it, and then there is necessity and the needs of the whole world, of which you are a part. Whatever the nature of the whole does, and whatever serves to maintain it, is good for every part of nature. The world is maintained by change, and the elements, and the things they compose. That should be enough for you. Treat it as an axiom. Discard your thirst for books, so they don't die in bitterness, but in cheerfulness and truth, grateful to the gods from the bottom of your heart. Yeah, it, it's it's just enjoying that moment, understanding that the world is changing, and that's just part of nature. Yeah, it's it's sometimes you can't stop it because it has to change. You know, whether it's the tide, whether it's the ocean, the tide comes in, time tide comes out, and well, to put it all into a yeah. Christian context, is that God's given us this world to enjoy as well, so. If we're worrying about all these other distractions and things going around us, half of the issue we're trying is we're trying to fix all these problems outside. We are irreparably broken from the get-go. We haven't fixed ourselves. We haven't been able to recognize, yes, there is this brokenness. We need to resolve. We need to figure out a resolution for that first before we can start focusing and fixing, trying to fix all these other problems. It's a recognition that, hey, there are, it goes back to the first point of gratefulness, of there are, find the things to be grateful for, 
and that is the that's the first stepping stone. All right, the next bit to welcome with with affection what is sent by fate, not to stain or disturb the spirit within him with a mess of false beliefs, instead to preserve it faithfully by calmly obeying God, saying nothing untrue, doing nothing unjust, and if the others don't acknowledge it. This life lived with simplicity, humility, cheerfulness. He doesn't resent them for it and isn't deterred from the falling of the road where it leads to the end of life. An end to be approached in purity, in serenity, in acceptance, in peaceful unity with what must be. It's sort of that calmly accepting mm. the fate that you know everyone will eventually die. This is probably where the detached from emotion that is often associated with stoicism, your Jedi-ness sort of neo-approach kind yeah. of comes into play here. Because you know, if you stress so much, it's like, well, do you, are you lengthening your own time? Mm. Not really. Yeah. Well, again, link, links into the earlier point of being temporal as well. Yeah. Yeah. Or life, like, uh, that life is temporal. I don't know. Have you, have you met anyone like this? No one springs to mind. No. anyone for you i think i don't know if you've noticed like a christian funeral versus a non-christian funeral so a non-christian funeral like they're always crying it's always a tragedy it's always stress that kind yeah. of stuff and then for a christian funeral it's like they know that death is just the next part of life mm. um, and so there's a peacefulness and a calmness in there yeah uh, the next bit is actually taking action. So it says, concentrate every minute like a Roman, like a man, on doing what's in front of you with precise and genuine seriousness, tenderly, willingly, with justice, and on freezing yourself from all other distractions. Yes, you can, if you do everything as if it was the last thing you were doing in your life. And stop being aimless. Stop letting your emotions override what your mind tells you. Stop being hypocritical, self-centered, irritable. You see how few things you have to do to live a satisfying and reverent life. If you can manage this, that's all even the gods can ask for you. To stop talking about what the good man is like and just be one. I quite I quite like that one, actually. Yeah. So people think stoicism is just like, you know, Buddha, you're sort of sitting there by yourself and trying not to do anything to harm the, the balance of nature. Yeah. Here Marcus is saying, no. Nah, you got to take action. Yeah. So we're talking about that people think that stoicism is living like Buddha, being, you know, reclusive, sitting by self, not not harming the balance of nature, but actually taking action, taking purposeful action because life is temporal. Don't let other people distract you with what they want to say. So focus on your actions so you can achieve stuff. And yes, you don't need to live you don't actually need to do so many things to live a satisfying reverent life you can if you just do the things in front of you he's saying that you can um, be satisfied and rather than debate about what to do what a good man is like but to just be one now that's really that's that's really that's really well said johnny i'd probably only add to that talking about in this relation to the the last point the take action is that you made a really good point earlier in this piece talking about how we've disregard and thrown out our history and our faith our shared faith our identity our culture all our traditions we've thrown those to the wayside and we're now lacking purpose we're now lacking direction 
I think that the the last last point of the these philosophies of Marcus Aurelius was where we're talking about taking action really does provide us with that purpose again. Certainly impressed on me at least talk when I'm looking at these words that have been written down and recorded where what he is talking about is providing each and every person with to make something of their life on that individual level but still but not being swayed by external forces but keeping yourself balanced continuing to strive forward uh so what is my takeaway points and why we go through marcus aurelius's meditations because i think you know for him he was a busy man trying to run the roman empire it takes a certain character and skill to manage a turbulent empire barbarians at the gates uh, there's internal politics strife there's natural disasters how did he become so successful for 19 years and to have a good name and it's understanding that you know life is temporal you know there is one fate for the good person and one for the bad person that is death and that you use your time well treat yourself be at peace don't let other people worry you so it's probably a healthy or good practice of acting indifferent and that's and and the skill of acting indifferent according to the situation so there's things that might you know burst on social media and it's like well what does that got to do with me i don't i don't need to be consumed in the the debates that you know some guy stirs up on social media why not just save that time for yourself mm and enjoy it rather than you know you know hunched over your phone yeah. trying to think of some good comments to fire back to show that you one up that person uh following the virtues of being a good person is is what stoicism is all about mm. having a strong sense of self character inner peace being stable at the core resistant to slander and misguided talk so being i guess that thicker skin mm. is what's trying to say we talked about the madness uh, and how everyone's tearing down things, everyone's slandering things, how you know, a simple thing on Twitter or on social media can lose you a job, to, can get you fired up. Perhaps you all need a healthy dose of stoicism and strong sense of self so they're not captured by these latest fads and ideas and memes and tweets. And not being, you know, as we said, being thrown back and forth by human ideas if you don't have that strong sense of self then you'll be yeah you'll be captivated by them we end up like those uneducated protesters who's you know she's wasting her life tearing down a statue that she means something you know she's yelling at this tour guide and the historian on the emancipation statue when that emancipation statue was actually a pretty good thing to stand for history and to show that we liberated and freed the slaves. And so, you know, I think maybe perhaps we've squandered this self-isolation time. This time that we have to ourselves is is wasted that, you know, we had people, we had time to reflect and to waste this time to think about all these things, it's like what, he's, what Marcus Aurelius says, you're being torn back and forth. Mm. You're distracted you had time to keep fit to read some books to reflect on 
what's going to happen when COVID goes away. Mm. How did it get to this where <laughs> we are now tearing down statues? You know, that's such a waste of time to think about. Mm. Well, I think I think we've lost a bit of our ability to be introspective, to stop and slow down. And because we've lost a bit of that ability, we didn't recognize that the lock, the COVID lockdown was an opportunity for that. We got bored. We go, we went, I want to be off doing something, doing anything. And because I can't, tr- I'm, I'm getting bored essentially. So we've, we've, we look, I think that's why we, we squandered a bit of that opportunity. Thanks to Pat for sharing his thoughts as we go through meditations. I think it's a classical book that all people should read. General Jim Mattis kept a copy of it as he knew that there is nothing new under the sun. The sayings are timeless and especially relevant for us right now. I think it's a call to reflect on ourselves and our actions to ensure that we do not squander our energy on trends, social media, outrages, mob justice and wasting our lives on temporary things as Marcus Aurelius observes that it's human nature to try and appease others, but in doing so, we have entrusted our own happiness to the souls of others. Life is short, so don't waste it. Just a matter of cleanup and admin for the listeners, we're going to have a break and we'll be back until August as we look forward to a world that's emerging from isolation. I've got a few stories I want to read up on and develop this episodes. If you like this series, please like, share and subscribe. Put the link on your social media profile for your friends to listen to. Every bit of support counts and motivates me to develop new episodes. You can also reach us by email at thefireinthedesert at gmail.com and Twitter at fireinthedesert. Music is Outfoxing the Fox by Ken McLeod at incontact.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in August. Mm